Good morning, Christ Covenant. My name is Lauren Papa, and it is such an honor to be here with you today. It's so good to see your faces, and I would invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open it up with me to John chapter 1. We will be reading verses 35 through 51, and we believe as a church family that this is God's divine, holy, inspired word, that it is sharper than a two-edged sword. So by the power of the Spirit, let these words wash over you today. John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was saying, staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, could anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it's good to see all of you today, some faces that uh, I haven't seen in a long time, and, and really excited to continue this study of the Gospel of John with you. If you've been with us over the past few weeks, of course, we, we've been chipping away here at John chapter 1, and, and we'll continue this throughout the next um, several years, likely, just kind of taking a chapter here and there at a time and slowly uh, working through it amidst other sermon series uh, that we'll be doing. As Blake mentioned earlier, I'm really excited about what we're going to begin next week, looking at different types of psalms. So we'll, we'll look at a psalm of lament next week, Psalm 22, but we're looking at psalms of praise, psalms of thanksgiving, 
Um, uh, and so this is going to be a really, really uh, helpful study for us. But uh, of course, two weeks ago, we kind of opened up the study of the Gospel of John. Uh, we, we called this this cataclysmic statement that John makes where there's so much theology, so much truth packed in to these first 18 verses. He really gives us a, a kind of a scope and an overview of Jesus. He draws from the Old Testament. He draws from who he was, the completeness of Christ, both God and man. Uh, and then, of course, last week we looked at kind of the testimony of John the Baptist, if you, if, if you were with us or if you were tuning in online. So we, we, we looked at not only has Jesus come in all of this fullness, but, but here is John giving witness to this, giving testimony to this, um, telling his followers that, that this truly is Jesus, the, the Lamb of God, the Messiah, the one who's going to save the whole world. But this week, we, we begin to, to see people's encounters with Jesus. Jesus has made himself known. We, we have this witness, someone giving testimony to him, but, but now what are you going to do with that? How, how are you going to respond to that? And we're calling this uh, sermon, The Followers, how, how these people begin to engage with and follow Jesus. And, and I think that this is really good for us as a church family to think about. Well, what does it mean to be a follower? What does it mean to identify with Jesus? And really, that's, that's kind of what it comes down to be a Christian. It's someone who identifies with Jesus. It's someone who aligns themselves with, with Christ. We, we are people, human beings are people that identify with things. That's how we kind of form our own identity, right? And so things that we, we find good and noble and right, we want to identify with. And this can be even true of things that we've experienced in our lives. So, you know, for example, it's no secret, I went to... Auburn University, and I I identify with Auburn. I'm proud of that. I, I had a great experience there. I got a good education there. I'm, I'm grateful for that experience, and so it's something that I talk about. It's something that I identify with in my life. Uh, I grew up in, in Alabama, and again, I had a great, wonderful childhood, loving parents, and I identify with that experience. It's a, it was a good experience for me, but you know, I have friends, uh, actually, that, that grew up in Alabama, and they didn't have such a great childhood, and they live somewhere else now, and they they distance themselves from that, right? They, they don't want people to know that truth about them. They've actually identified themselves as people who have distanced themselves from something. So, right, so so how we kind of grab a hold of things or or how we distance ourselves from certain things, that's, that's how we really frame an identity for ourselves. And it's really the same thing with, with our Christian faith, right? I, I love the Lord. I want to be identified with Jesus. Even just reading the Gospel of John, I hope you're following along with us in our little rhythms, guys. We're kind of chipping away at this verse by verse. Uh, this, this Gospel just, it will make you love Jesus so deeply. And I think even as you just meditate on each of these passages and how Jesus interacts and the invitations that Jesus gives, it 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 it. it it grows my heart toward our Lord Jesus. I, I, I love Jesus. I want to be identified uh, as a Christ follower. But there are other people, there are people that I know, even people that I grew up in church with, and in the same kind of way, they, they have distanced themselves from that. They don't want to be identified with Christ, and sometimes even in a very visceral way. This is how identity works, right? It, it, it's what or who you're going to attach yourself to. What, what or who you're going to follow. Uh, this, is, this determines your identity. And again, this is, this is a, a moment in time where, where these disciples 
are, are having to answer the question, who will you identify with? Where will you find meaning? Where will you find value? And, and we're seeing how they begin to trust in, believe in, identify, and follow Jesus. And again, I think this is an important passage for us. So some of you uh, maybe that are here, some of you that are watching at home, you may be kind of right here. You know about Jesus. You believe certain things about Jesus. You may believe that Jesus was a really good teacher. You may even believe in the resurrection, right? You may even say, okay, there's evidence to believe in the resurrection. I believe that Jesus, probably there was something about him. But you are struggling with this step. Can I really identify with him? Can I really be a Christian? Right? Can I can I identify with him? And then sometimes, sometimes the, the biggest hurdle is can I identify with the other people that follow him, right? Am, am I going to be one of those kinds of people? Am I going to identify with Christ? So I think this is a really helpful passage uh, for those of you who who have identified with Christ, who love Christ, to think about what that means for you on a daily basis. I mean, really every day we choose, am I going to identify with Jesus today? Am I going to trust his way? Or, or am I going to distance myself from him? Am I going to distance myself from his way? And that's a, that's a daily choice for people who are following the Lord. And, and for some of you who have never really identified with Christ and let that be known publicly, this may be uh, a new choice for you that I think this passage can be really helpful for. So, so I want to look at three things, how Jesus invites us to follow him, how he changes us as we do follow him, and then how he grows us as we follow him. I love the invitation. Let's look at the invitation of Christ here. I love the invitation. And this is a very famous invitation. We see it twice in this passage. Come and see. Come and see. They go to Jesus and say, Jesus, where are you staying? Tell us, you know, what's life with you going to be like? And he says, well, come and see. This is one of the great things about Christianity. Christianity involves faith, right? It's a It's a means of faith. It's a system of faith, but it's not a blind faith. It's a come and see kind of faith. Jesus invites his followers, look, come and see. Come and take a look. Come and observe. I love Blake always says, don't be a bad skeptic, right? If you have questions about the Christian faith, if you have questions about things that Christians believe or who Jesus is, don't be a bad skeptic. Don't distance yourself from that. Don't don't just let that lie. Lean into it. Ask questions about it. You know, this is a come and see kind of faith. So come and see. Come and see what Jesus is really offering. Come and see who he really is. You know, people always say, you know, you hear people say, well, I'm not a man of faith, right? I'm a man of science or something. You know, I, I'm not a woman of faith. I'm, I'm a woman of science. And let me just say, that's such a, that, that whole statement is, is, is so misleading, and it's not really a true statement. So, you know, if, if, if you're watching, if you're here, and you've ever said that, and you don't want to identify with Jesus, don't ever say, I'm not a person of faith, because everybody's a person of faith. As I said, everybody's identifying with something. Everybody's framing their life around something. You may not be a person of faith in Christ, but you are a person of faith. And, and I would argue that it's, it takes a lot more faith to be an atheist. It takes a, a lot more faith to be a secular person than it does to be a Christian. Uh, to, to actually believe that this world that is full of design happened by chance without a designer requires incredibly more faith than to believe that it just was the circumstance of some designer's work. You know, beyond that, you know, this is a uh, 
this is a time when I, I just think it, it must be very frustrating if you're a, a truly a secular person because the, the basis for some of the basic intuitions of the heart just come up so empty. Uh, the, ba- the secular basis for morality, again, relatively empty. The basis for a secular position on justice or love or these basic intuition, intuitions of our heart, they're, they're incredibly empty without a designer, without an anchor of truth. But for Christians, the invitation is come and see. The secular person is left to say, well, you know, there is no basis. You know, these, are, these are things that people have come up with. But, but Jesus says, no, come and see. Come and see the basis for these things. Come and see the anchor for these things. You know, we're in a really interesting moment right now. And, and it's a moment of, of what I call legalism. Legalism happens when people have no real conviction and when people end up just kind of following the course of the culture that they're in, right? Legalism happens when people see that there is a moral or social system that is potentially beneficial for them. And so rather than operating out of their own heart, operating out of their own system, they just follow the legalistic way of the day. And, and we live in an incredibly legalistic world right now. It's very rare to find someone truly operating out of conviction, but rather just kind of waiting around to see what the winds of the time says is right or good or bad or what, what you should care about. Or, or th- There's a lot of people waiting around to see, okay, what's going to frame this moment that I find myself in? This is classic legalism. And it's, it's incredibly dangerous. It's, it's not what I desire for us as Christians. You know, there's an analogy of just being a leaf kind of blown around in the wind of the day, trying to fit the, the moral schema of the moment rather than actually being a person of conviction, rather than actually being someone with strength and stability. You know, I don't want you to be leaves blowing around in the wind. I want you to be trees, right? I want you to be people that are planted, that are anchored. Uh, this is a passage that we, we really love here at Christ's Covenant is Ephesians 4. Um, and we talk about this all the time. It, it, it's, it's an anchor passage for our church. And, and it really gives us a vision, I think, of, of what it means, what the invitation of Jesus is calling us to. Let me just read through it real quick. It says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood and the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So, right, there, there's this, see the where this passage is taking us. It's taking us to maturity. It's taking us to fullness. And this is one of the reasons that we, we really believe in membership and pastors and discipleship and elders. The reason we are trying to, to, to call you in to be a part of this body that's working together to build itself up. But look at verse 14. It says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro, 
by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. We don't want you to fall into some scheme of the day. We don't want you to be a pawn of the media or of some political system, right? We, we want you to be the kind of people that actually know God, the creator of the universe, well enough to actually have conviction of your own to actually have strength of your own, right? That's, that's really the invitation of Christ, and here's how it happens. Rather, speaking truth in love. How, how does real growth and maturity happen? It's when together, as a body anchored in God's truth, we speak God's truth to one another in love, it, with compassion, with patience. But when that happens, we grow up in every way into, and look at the, where is the world? Into, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined is held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, making the body grow that it builds itself up in love. This is the invitation, right? Jesus says, come and see, and when you see me, this is the invitation of Christ. You will, I, my, my invitation is that you would anchor yourself into me that Jesus would be our, our anchor of truth, our anchor of morality, our anchor of delight. And, and then we'll actually be people that have compassion and conviction. We'll actually be people that have an anchor of justice, not just what does justice look like today or what feels right now, but we'll actually be people that pursue the truth anchored in our head who is Jesus. As we read in the first part of chapter one, Jesus, full of grace, full of truth. He, he is a worthy anchor for our lives. He is worthy to be the one you identify with, to be the one that you join and align yourself with. But he says, come and see. Come and see. Begin to follow me. I'll show, I'll show you what this is like. I'll show you how this works out. Come and see him. Come and see him in his word. Come and see him through his church. Come and see him in his people. Come and see how Jesus is changing the world. You know, and I really believe this. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day about how I believe Jesus is, in his way, renewing the world. And we see the renewal of Christ. I think Christians often kind of talk about how the world's getting worse and worse and worse. I, I don't believe that. I think Jesus and his church is actually renewing the world. The church, the, the world is actually getting better and better and better. And in many ways, um, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day about, you know, 102 years ago right now, as most of you know, the Spanish flu was going on, right? We've obviously heard about this in recent days with the coronavirus. Well, obviously, as horrible as the coronavirus has been, as many people have died with the coronavirus, as tragic as it has been, Worldwide, to this point, less than 400,000 people have died from the coronavirus, which, again, is tragic and horrible. I'm not trying to make light of that. But in the Spanish flu, more than 50 million people died, right? And that was at a time when the global population was less than 2 billion. Now we're approaching 8 billion, okay? And yet 40,000 as compared to, or 400,000, rather, as compared to 50 million deaths, right? Now, again, that's tragic. And we, we, we have a long way to go in terms of renewing health care, renewing safety and all these things. But man, how gracious is 
our Lord to us that we live in a time with things like vaccines and things like respirators and things like, uh, you know, healthcare improvements. You know, I, I, I said something the other day, I've never thanked God for vaccines until this year. I've never thanked God for the smallpox vaccine before, right? That's never been one of my prayers. But man, aren't you glad we're not dealing with smallpox right now? Aren't you glad we're not dealing with polio right now? Like God is, is renewing the world. And you might be saying, well, wait, God's not really doing this. This is something scientists are doing. And to which I would say, I don't have time to get into that right now. But, but listen to the sermon talk back tomorrow. And, and I, I want to talk about how we actually are seeing Christ through his church bring about renewal. So you got to tune back in tomorrow. We'll get into that. But I, I got to move on. Jesus invites us. He invites us to come and see. He invites us to come and see through his word, through his church, through his people, how he's changing the world. But, but secondly here, when, when you really begin to follow Jesus, he changes you. Now, this is an interesting little passage here. Andrew begins following Jesus. Then he goes to his brother Simon. He says, come, look, the Messiah has come. And so here comes Simon. He walks up to Jesus. This is their first interaction. And Jesus says, you're Simon, son of John. Now you're going to be called Cephas, which means Peter. Okay, that's a strange meet, right? Oh, yeah, you've gone by this no longer. Now you're going by that. Now, it's not uncommon in the Bible to see a name change, right? There's a lot of name changes in the Bible. Famously, you know, Abraham started off as Abram. Abram means exalted father. Abraham, though, God called him, God purposed him to be this father of a multitude. He became the father of a multitude. Jacob, remember Jacob, all right? God changed his name from to supplant or to trip up, not a great name, to, to Israel, the one who wrestles with God. And then, of course, Saul. Remember Saul, his name was changed to Paul when God gave him a ministry to the Gentile world. Saul, Hebrew name, Greek, or Paul was a Greek name. And here's Peter. He starts off with Simon. Now, Simon's an interesting name. It means the listener, the one who listens, the one who hears, which is a good name. But Jesus says, look, I'm going to change your name to Cephas, Peter, the rock. Remember later, of course, the Caesarea Philippi scene where he, he has this great interaction. You are Peter. You are the rock. But on this rock, on the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, I am going to build my church. You've been known as Simon, but I'm going to make you a rock. And I'm going to use you. And just think, think of Peter's story. Here's a guy from Galilee, this fisherman. I don't know what his vision dream for his life was, but here he ends his life in Rome as the anchor, this great leader in the church of Rome. What a story. It's an amazing story. Of course, we, we don't know all the details. But when you begin to follow Jesus, when you, when you come and see, Jesus has this way of changing you of making you new. And I know it just, I guess I would ask you the question, is there actual change in your life? Is there evidence of change? Is there evidence that, that Christ has changed you? Has he changed what you value? You know, has Jesus really changed what you value? What, what is kind of central in your life? You know, I say that people in Atlanta, they value making deals, going on great vacations and remodeling their house, Right. Like, that's what, you know, if, if you can do those three things, then you've made it, right? Yeah, it's like, well, you know, I made this deal. We're going on this vacation. And, of course, we got the remodel going on right now. 
You know, that's like you talk to successful people in Atlanta and like they're always remodeling. And so that, that's, that's just what you do. But, and, and again, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with making deals. Of course, God wants us to work hard, going on vacations. Of course, you know me, you're not going to have to convince me I love to travel. And of course, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with making a nicer home for yourself. But I really believe when you start to follow Jesus, all of those things will become less important to you. They won't be so central. They won't be your identity. And so if, you, if you're making fewer deals because you're a really committed member of a discipleship group and you're spending time really investing into others, that will bring you more joy. That will bring you more life. If you're not taking all your vacation time to go to some great place, but you, you really have found yourself year after year after year after year after year investing into the same people on the same mission trip, that's the kind of stuff that Jesus does. Not, it's not because you, you have some guilty conscience. You say, well, I got to do a lot for Jesus. He's done a lot for me. It's because you actually love Jesus. And what you value actually changes. You'll find yourself doing stuff like, you know, instead of remodeling your house this year, you'll, you'll remodel someone else's house through the Grove Park Renewal Project, for example. You'll find yourself doing that stuff that without Jesus makes no sense. And, it's, and again, it's not something you're doing because you like, you know, look good on Instagram and you want your church friends to know it. You, you know, you'll find yourself doing it because you, you actually start to value the people and the things that Jesus values. He changes what you value. He changes what makes you happy. You know, I love our Tuesday night group. I was thinking about them this week. Here's these 20-somethings, right? And, and what are most 20-somethings in Atlanta doing for happiness? You know, they... they they're going out, they're trying to, you know, party and all that include that is included with that. But here's these 20-somethings here that I just love. They're so happy. Like, they, they come and they're so happy. They're having so much fun together. And what are they doing? They're encouraging one another in faith. They're studying God's Word together. And I said, man, like, but Jesus has done this. Jesus has changed what's made them happy. Jesus will change what you value. Change, he'll change how you spend your money. Uh, you know, he'll, he'll, again, you know, we talk about giving and generosity in church culture. And again, I, I don't ever want that to be a conversation here where anyone's like guilted into that. I want it to be a, a conversation where people actually joyfully make investment into the kingdom of Christ. And, and I just want to encourage you to, 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 to come and see, you know, follow Jesus's first fruit principle, follow God's first fruit principle. And say, so, you know what, because God's given me everything, the first thing I want to do is give back to him. That's, that's the first place. You know, most people, I think, in their generosity have the, if anything's left over at the end of the year, I'll give a little bit of that principle. But what if you followed the first fruit principle and said, look, the first of everything, I'm, I'm not, not all of it, but a percentage of it, I'm going to give to the kingdom of God and to his work. You know, I, I was thinking about this this week, and I did the math. Okay, I, I I have never, you know, been a man of means. By any, I mean, I'm the son of a preacher. I am a preacher, right? You know, I feel very well taken care of. So this is not like a, you know, woe is me kind of thing. Don't hear that. But, you know, I'm not I'm not rolling in the dough. You know, I'm I'm not a man of means. I'm I'm just a well taken care of normal middle class guy. Okay, and but you know, we've always tried to follow this, right? And even as a child, this is something my father. 
really instilled into me. Whenever I'd get a little allowance, he'd sit me down and he'd say, hey, son, you know where that really came from? You think it came from me, but you know where it really came from? It came from the Lord. Let's honor him. And, um, and so I've just kind of always done this. And I went kind of through, and then I married Paige, and that was, you know, in terms of my financial health was probably a mistake because she like always wants to give money away. I was telling, I was telling somebody, I was telling somebody last night, <laughs> Josh, and I, Josh and I were getting dinner last night. This is a total aside. And I had this like piece of, I've always wanted the concept to rower, you know, the concept to, it's really nice. Right. And so I sold this piece of exercise equipment and I was going to save the money and give and buy the concept to, and uh, I think I sold this thing for like $300 and I just had like $300 there at the house. And uh, I was like, Paige, where's that $300? She gave it to someone, you know? And so anyway, so anyway, and of course Paige, you know, I say Paige is like great at getting jobs. She's always busy. She works harder than like anyone I know, but she always finds jobs that, that don't pay money. But anyway, <laughs> but we've always tried to follow this principle in our life. And, uh, I added it up the other day, and like from my life, even from those like little gifts when I was a child, I think that in my life, I've been able to invest about $200,000 in ministry, okay, just by following the first group principle and by stretching where I could and giving this and this, and I thought to myself, man, that is a lot of money, uh, and you know, here's the deal. Here's what I thought about that. I have no idea where all the rest of the money that I've earned or been given in my life is, you know? You know, it's gone, you know. I've probably wasted a ton of it. But that $200,000 is serving for, for me and for our family an investment that will never see the end of the return. It's an eternal investment. And I can look at that with incredible joy in my life. Jesus will change the way, the things you value. It'll change what makes you happy. It'll change how you spend your money. It'll change everything. So he invites us in. He changes us. But he also grows us as we follow him. So this, the end of this passage is, is fascinating. So, you know, we have this incredible interaction between, Je- between Jesus and Nathaniel. Uh, Philip begins to follow Jesus. He goes in, to Nathaniel and he says, look, we found the Messiah. We found the one that the scriptures have told us about. And immediately, Nathaniel insults Jesus. You know, Philip says to him, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel, of course, says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, don't, here's a pro tip, don't insult someone's hometown, right? You know, you know people, people are proud of their hometown. Don't mess with their hometown. But that's exactly what Nathaniel does. And I love Philip's response. He's learned from Jesus. He just says, well, don't trust me. Come and see. Come and follow him. Come and see what's really going on here. So Philip said to him, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming, verses 47, coming toward him. And he said, behold, <laughs> I love Jesus' response here. An Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit, right? You tell it like it is, Nathanael. We know you don't think highly of Nazareth. Nathanael said, how do you know me? Jesus answered, well, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And then Nathanael answered, something good can come out of Nazareth. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. But I love this. Verse 50, Jesus said, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? And then he says, listen, listen, Nathanael, you're going to see greater things than these. I just told you what you're doing 20 minutes ago under the fig tree. Man, what you're about to see, 
you're going to see greater things than these because you've encountered the living God. I just want to say, you know, Jesus isn't some like cute little religious thing that we do on weekends, makes us feel better about ourselves. No, Jesus is life. He's the ruler of the world. He's the anchor of all things. He, he is our only hope. He is God himself. And in him is redemption and power and healing and life for the whole world. You're going to see greater things than these as you follow him, as you come and see what he's really up to. You know, the last, this last week, we took our elders and our staff kind of away for a few days. We had a couple of days with the elders, a couple of days with the staff, just to kind of dream and think about what 2021 and even 2022 begins to look like for us as a church. We, we, we'll be three years old in September, and these first three years have been kind of, can we just survive as a church? Can we actually launch and become a church? But we're starting to dream beyond that now and say, okay, now what, what can God do? God has brought us these people. What can God do through them? When we say we're dreaming as what can we do as a church, really what we're saying is like, what can God do through these people? <laughs> what, what can we help organize and, and facilitate and shepherd them to do because God has empowered them and God has filled them with his spirit and God wants to use them and, and, we, and they will see greater things than these as they begin to follow him, as they follow him, as they trust him. We're going to see more than this. Just a couple of things that we were dreaming about. We were talking about, man, what, what if God could use this church, this church, you, to transform schools and education, for example, in the city of Atlanta? You know, we have, just right here in our backyard, some of the schools in our city that are really failing, that kids go to, that are in hard situations, and their chance of actually getting a decent education and having any hope and vision for their life is very minimal. And they're coming from situations where they're, they're not given that in the home. But some of you, many of you, have begun volunteering. Of course, COVID-19 interrupted this. But, but many of you begun volunteering, teaching sight words to, to children through Arise Atlanta. And I just was dreaming about, we were dreaming about, what, what could God use this? The relationships that are built, could this trickle out? Could, could there be a program like this in every school? Could Christians in other churches all across the city engage in this and, and really see a total shift in the schools in our city? Not because there's some new program, but just because the churches got around the schools and said, hey, we want to help. We want to do our part. Could God use you, our city, to transform the business community of Atlanta? What if, what if because the leader, the business leaders that are in this church, because you guys were approaching business in a totally different way, in a Christ-centered, humble way, that, that that started a trickle effect or continued a trickle effect that really spread through our whole city? What if God could use this church to transform marriages in our city? What if, what if because the marriages here were so healthy, because of things like the Nearly Newly class uh, and the counseling center and, and just other things where people said, man, you know what? If you want a good marriage, I don't know, I'm not a Christian or anything, but those people who go to Christ's covenant, they know marriage. What if that became who we were and what we were known for, and it really started a transformation of our whole city? And then what if through this church, this is what we're starting to dream about too, what if, what if we, as we start to grow and mature, break off and send church planning teams to different parts of our city, at different parts of our country, and, and even different parts of the world, you will see greater things than these.
No, Jesus came and he transformed people. He changed people. And then those people, God used them to transform others. And of course this happened. Because when you really get to know Jesus, you are transformed. The gospel is a story of transformation. In Jesus, you die. Your old sinful self is put to death. And in Jesus, you live. This whole story is one of death and resurrection. And in Christ, you can be transformed. And in Christ, you can be used to transform others. You will see greater things than these. And oh, this is my hope and prayer for us. So come and see. Come and see. Look to Jesus. Follow him. Put him to the test on this. Lean in him. Trust him. And see the great things that he'll do with your life. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would make us whole. You would redeem us. You would heal us. You would transform us, Lord, that you would put to death what needs to die in us and that you would bring to life your life through us. You would put to death in us what's been tarnished and ruined by sin and you would bring to life in us, Lord, the fullness of your design, what you desire for us in Christ. I pray for myself, my my life as a, as a part of this church, and I pray for our church members. I pray for the friends of this church, Lord, that that we would come and see, that we would look to Jesus, we would look in on Jesus and be transformed by him. So, Lord, I just pray that you would give us a clear vision even today. For some, Lord, who have who've never followed Christ, who have been maybe looking into him, who have been investigating him, but, Lord, have never really identified with him, I pray that today would be the day that they, that they invite him to be a part of their life, that they, they unite with him, that they connect with him, they identify with him. And Father, for those of us that, um, Father, that have been following him, I just pray that our faith would be strong, that we would continue to, to identify less with the world and more with Christ. We would find uh, what is joy and what is true and what is right in Jesus and in Jesus alone. So Lord, build our faith. Cause our faith to rise. Cause our eyes to see what is true. And I pray that's all in Jesus' name. Hey, I want to invite you if you're here in the room today. And, you know, again, some of you I haven't seen you in a while. I'm going to be standing in the back just kind of by the door. And if during this time of song you'd like to come and just have a prayer with me, I would love that opportunity. Um, so please, you can just slip over there. We can pray together, ask a question. If those of you who are watching from home online, I'm so glad you've decided to join us today. I'm so eager for us to continue to get together. But we have a, a great resource. It's just a text to pastor line. Blake mentioned it earlier. It's a 404 number now, 465-1737. And just text it. It comes to me. It's actually anonymous. I, I won't know who you are unless you identify yourself. Um, but I'd love to, even through that, connect with you, pray with you, answer any question that you may have. Um, we want to engage. We are the kind of church that loves to engage uh, with people that want to engage with the Lord. And so uh, I invite you to respond, and I invite all of you to respond as Jordan leads us as we sing.